Religiosanity, episode 62. Yeah, back with Pastor Andrew. You know, one of the things that my wife and I have really gotten into in, during quarantine time is bird watching. Oh, really? Yes, we have. I've, I've been doing it for quite a while. Well, Peter, I, I'm you know. a little jealous of your pictures on Facebook. You, you, you clearly are not going in Central Park. And Instagram. Park. You're, you're traveling outside of this city, I can just tell. Actually, the Central Park would be a beautiful place and is known worldwide That's right. as a perfect place to uh, do bird watching and bird photography. Yet, you live a couple blocks away and you don't have any pictures in Central Park. You have pictures because of I, these I, wonderful I, birds from some other place and I'm really jealous. That's... that's uh, because I wanted to make it more difficult for myself. I see. Okay. It's because like a little if, excursion. Uh, in, in Central Park, you are dealing with either uh, migrating birds, which are tired and therefore are not as on the edge. Interesting. And, and therefore, they are easier to spot and photograph. Or you are dealing with the birds who might be at least part of the year local. And therefore, they are more used to all the noise uh, and all the traffic and all the people. So ask any birder or bird photographer and they would say that Central Park is actually a very good place because the birds would allow you to get closer to them yeah. than you would have uh, with those completely uh, wild uh, birds. I go to Iona Island Bird Sanctuary, which is in uh, Hudson River. It's not that Scottish Iona Island. It's named after that, probably, uh, or almost certainly. But this one is in the Hudson Valley, right beneath, um, right beneath the Bear Mountain. Ah. And uh, it's part of that uh, state park there. Uh, I have there a small corner where I go regularly. Mm. Uh, just to observe the changes of season and, and mm -hmm. so on. And that's where I go to take pictures of whatever I see. There, there were times when I took, uh, when I could not find any birds or did not see them, did not spot them. Mm. Uh, but I, th th there was a deer, so I took a picture of a deer oh, nice, yeah. or something like that. So uh, well, always saw, there is something. I saw you post something and you, and you said something interesting. You said something like, you know, this whole, this adage, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you, you, you post something and, and about, well, what about the birds or, or something? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that happened to me like two, 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 yeah. two weeks or three weeks ago. I, I don't remember now when exactly it was. But I was there photographing uh, birds. Uh, some chickadees, mm -hmm. actually, in the woods. Uh, they were mostly in marshes, uh, eating the seeds of those reeds there. And it was a little windy, and suddenly, right behind my back, a big dead tree fell. Whoa. With a lot of rumble, of course, you know, breaking branches wow. and, and so on. Uh, like 50 yards behind me. Wow. But 
you know, I was looking the opposite direction. I was yeah. looking at those chickadees. And I can tell you that they definitely heard that tree falling, <laughs> you know, absolutely. And that brought to my mind uh, the, this uh, adage. It's uh, actually a philosophical thought experiment, mm -hmm. quite famous. Uh, it, it goes back to 18th century uh, and became even more profound uh, about uh, the mid of the last century, 20th century, where philosophers started to deal more deeply with qualia, that is uh, the perceptions, how things we uh, absorb, how we process them as individuals. Mm -hmm you know, colors, sounds, and other things, and this is about the sound. So this became much more prominent in philosophical discourse uh, then. But just observing those chickadees, I, I realized that that whole this concept is so anthropocentric. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that some philosophers actually recognized that earlier, because I know that uh, Erasim Kohak, who was uh, a philosopher uh, in, in Boston area, uh, in New England, uh, originally from uh, Czechoslovakia, his parents uh, escaped communism and he became philosopher here in, in the United States. And uh, then he returned. He is back in uh, Czech Republic now. Uh, but while he was writing philosophy in New England, uh, he, of course, dealt with this. He was environmentalist and ecologist. Uh, and he also mentioned, you know, and what about badgers? And I can confirm that I, I did not see badgers uh, react to a falling tree, but I, I saw chickadee and I know that they hear. So my question would be, and what about chickadees? Yeah. And, but that brings with it much broader, I think, philosophical and environmental questions. Because here we have a philosophical topos question and uh, the problem philosophers were trying to solve about the perception and uh, idealistic uh, individualism. And, uh, and just regular observation of nature tells you that it is almost, I would say, pathologically anthropocentric. And isn't it interesting that at the end or during the 18th century comes this whole idea of anthropocentric uh, idealism, you know, thinking that things don't happen or, yeah, they happen, but if there is no one to hear it, then uh, they are just pressure waves 
You know, mm. that, that's actually the logic behind it. Sound is what our brains are translating mm. to us through our senses. Mm -hmm. uh, so sound is defined as inner person's perception of the changes of air pressure of a certain quality. And of course, in that way, you need to have an ear and brain behind it, which will actually recognize those uh, pressure changes in air as a sound. That's all right. You know, I, I, I fully understand this. The problem here is this recognition is not only human. It goes into it goes definitely into those badgers. It goes to chickadees, and so it's not anthropocentric. It's much broader. We we need to recognize that there is the entire web of life or mm -hmm. lace. I would use that nicer expression of lace work. You know those in, individual threads of lives being intertwined and made into that lace work mm -hmm. of beauty. And we are part of it, but we are not the only one upon which that whole lace work is hanging. Very often we behave in that lace work quite destructively. Yes. So yes. Uh, that that is where I think this whole philosophical thought experiment needs to be completely rewritten and 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 redone. Yes. Uh, taking it from that anthropocentric uh, perception of the world into more holistic and interconnected uh, worldview, where we are part of the world. And that whole world actually communicates and hears. Definitely badgers, definitely chickadees. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that the insects are constantly communicating. They are communicating through the sounds. If you ever heard the buzzing mosquito, you know that they are letting yeah. you know I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, you know, or uh, and uh, they are communicating through the color of their wings. They they are definitely communicating uh, by pheromones, uh, chemically, by smells, uh, and. Uh, the same thing is definitely about all the living creatures, including plants. We are learning now that even the plants are communicating with one another. They are communicating through the air, through, uh, they are communicating through those uh, chemical signals they are sending to each other. They are communicating underground through their roots and root systems. And they are communicating cross within the species, but they are communicating cross species. Mm. That is that web of communication and uh, focusing that only into the ears and minds of human beings, I think is very selective to the point that it is dangerous. It also, it also uh, uh, when you, just live in that mindset, it, it, um, 
it, it changes your approach to everything. If you're living in this human-centric way, then when you hear that adage, like for me, you know, I think I used to, I just unconsciously just thought that the bird is the equivalent of the of the tree. They're all the same. It's the same thing that is that is not there when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. The sound is not there. Uh, the bird is not reacting because it's it's not conscious. You know what I mean? Like in other words, I'm my presence there, my ability to take it in. Don't what, take don't take consciousness there because that's another major conundrum. You yeah. mentioned that, that bird is not conscious. Uh, conscious, you know, who knows what actually exactly. human consciousness exactly. is. But uh, I, I I would kind of bracket that out. Okay, the the, yes. the whole issue of consciousness. But yeah, I true. can tell just from observation that living creatures or the entire nature, to some degree, is constantly communicating with one another yes. within the species and outside of their species, yes. you know, with other species around. Constantly uh, displaying, sounding alarms. Uh, yeah. You can say, uh, if, if you want to be uh, that kind of mechanistic guy, you can see they are manipulating those others to suit their purposes. I think that I'll be here more idealistic and I would say they are communicating like we are communicating. Like the humans are communicating with humans and we are communicating with our pets and we are communicating with our plants the same way the plants and pets and animals and insects uh, are communicating with one another in outside nature. Yeah. You know, yeah. my potted plants at home are communicating to me, oh, you forgot to water us. <laughs> Just look at our leaves. We are drooping. Uh, and, and I know, oh, you know. Now you're going to make me feel really guilty when I kill plants now from lack of water. Now I'm going to hear that voice. <laughs> yeah, you know, but they are communicating. Don't yes. tell me that they are not communicating. They are showing their distress. It's a way of the plant's communication. They need to communicate this way because I am simply moron and I cannot probably pick up the, their scents uh, they are sending and yeah. releasing from their leaves and other, other signals I assume are there, but because my nose is not sensitive enough or whatever, I communicate with the, our plants mostly through my eyes. Yes. Or they need yes. to communicate with me that way. I communicate with them by watering them, by putting some nutrients into that water and so on and so forth. Uh, yes. and, and maybe shaping them somehow occasionally. And, and they are letting me know whether they enjoyed it or they were challenged by it also. <laughs> you know, some plants yeah. like actually to be clipped. Yeah. Others don't. Uh, some plants, uh, you just don't even turn them by a few degrees and they would show you that they are in distress. <laughs> uh, and some other will easily, 
you know, sail through it and maybe be even happier because if you turn them, uh, the other part of the plant is exposed to sunlight and they are happy. Mm-hmm. But some plants just hate it. Mm-hmm. And, and they would stop losing, uh, they, they will start losing leaves like crazy. And they are telling me, no, don't do that to us again. Or don't do that to me again. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's just what we consider to be communication. Yes. And, and from what I'm hearing from you that has to change is this idea that because, and maybe even this is debatable, but it seems like we have been living in, under this assumption, that because those birds cannot think and dwell upon the philosophical concept of a tree falling in the woods and me not being there doesn't make a sound because they cannot have, that's what I meant by consciousness, this, this Mm -hmm. objective, Mm -hmm. uh, I think therefore I am type Mm -hmm. thing because they don't have that. We make an, we make a judgment upon beings. We have, uh, uh, we have set ourselves above mm-hmm. for all of this time. That is what has to change. This, because what you're saying is, whether or not scientifically we can, we can see that they can't do that, there's so much other communication going on, so much other uh, sophisticated, mm-hmm. yes. much even more sophisticated than we can have. Because I just read an article just yesterday about how they found that birds are finding out how heavy the hurricane season is going to be months before any indication of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people were making jokes like, birds have a lot of explaining to do or something like that. Somebody made that joke mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. we can learn a lot. So that means they know, they're, they're communicating and they're, they're in touch with this planet in ways that we are not able to be. Yes, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, it is, that, that is one, uh, that that's one dimension of that you know the recognition that we are not unique mm-hmm. you know finally maturing enough i think that the human race needs to get from now we are in like early pubescent mm-hmm. <laughs> early teenagers when you think that everything is happening around you just because of you Okay, and I think that we need to mature from that stage into a little bit more adult approach and understanding that we are part of this lace work, as I call that. And uh, not everything in this world is just about us. We are doing our best to do it about ourselves and we are harming everyone around us and harming this whole planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is becoming about us but in a wrong way. And we need to recognize that there are many other forms of life all around us, which are having much uh, broader uh, understanding of the world or different one. That's one thing. And the other thing is out of that, we can also rediscover how we can 
live together in respect and use each other's mm -hmm. perceptions mm -hmm. and, and uh, gifts. Um, so we, to some degree, we, we are still using like sniffing dogs. Yeah. And they are in many areas much better than our chemical analysis machines uh, trying to, you know, in airports uh, find out uh, explosives. They are better than that. Of course, not completely. They need to be complemented by some other techniques and, and, and ins instruments, but they are just marvelous for it, or finding a lost person in the forest, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and so on. And we learn birds have marvelous sense of the season and seasonality, or uh, some birds can see such minute differences in brightness that they that, that's the joke about uh, uh, chickens predicting the coming of the day. Mm -hmm. Because they, they have such insensitive uh, eyes for the changes of brightness that they, they know the dawn is coming. Long before you even have the first signs, you can see the first signs of brightening on the east horizon. Uh, and uh, or darkening also when the storm is coming they 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 recognize that by the darkening of the sky again mm -hmm. and so on and so forth so and and you would say chicken <laughs> yeah with chicken brain yeah yeah and they are this good yeah in in finding this so uh, that, that that's one dimension of it and 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 you can you 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 can see that in in any or many other areas, and us being dismissive of these marvelous gifts, and not even being aware of the ways of perception and communication of That's other right. living creatures around us, we are actually depriving ourselves yes. of of these insights. Yes into the world around us. Yes. And so, uh, you, you know, I, I think that a li little bit more humbleness uh, coming with this recognition will go long way and will help all of us, will help those creatures around us that we would start paying attention to them and not dismissing them just like some unliving objects. Yes. And partly we can ourselves benefit from their gifts of other senses. Yes. Bees are able to see, or many insects are able to see ultraviolet, for instance, part of the spectrum, which we cannot. You know, we can use different instruments for doing it, but they, they do that naturally. Amazing. And, uh, and again, uh, that, that, that can be an resource for us where you don't need to have batteries to tell you mm -hmm. you know for uh, ultraviolet cameras or optics or other things uh, because we have insects telling us that mm -hmm. or we have plants which are communicating to us so now returning back uh, 
you know, then that one falling tree uh, reminded me of this whole yeah. interconnected web or lacework of uh, of life around us. Yeah. And I would say that Chickadee not only knew that the tree was falling and paid attention to it, I think that that Chickadee or after that tree had fallen, I saw woodpeckers coming and visiting. Hmm. Not this specific one. Mm -hmm. I saw them on some other falling trees mm -hmm. or still standing dry trees. And so they pay attention. Yeah. They are aware of them. They know when to visit them for lunch or for breakfast. And so, you know, who or what gives me the privilege of saying that I'm the only one who is aware, who is conscious of these realities? Yeah. They clearly are themselves also. They can remember, they can return to that place. Uh, squirrels are famous for having caches of, of nuts mm -hmm. squirreled away and hidden. And even some birds are doing it. And they can remember hundreds and thousands of those caches. Mm -hmm. sometimes <laughs> think about whether we would be able you, you, you know like having an, uh, uh, having our ladders kind of scattered all over the town and trying out. to remember you, you know uh, where we have and what we have there you know like don't salami is over here potatoes are over there uh, <laughs> don't put me in that uh, test with a squirrel I'll lose yeah yeah, but here's the thing just to wrap this up I mm -hmm. mean, not to get into this because we have an episode about this but what set us down this road mm -hmm. is our religion I mean mm -hmm. religion is what you know told us that we were special and that the animals are here for us okay this mono monotheistic <laughs> And we beginning. have an episode about we that. We have an episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but uh, yeah, yeah. And what and you're talking about is basically going against our very foundation. No, 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 no. You you don't have in in. Uh, I'm a biblicist. Yes. Okay? So you don't. Uh, you, you, you 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 don't have in in a Bible. I'm not worshiping those creatures. I'm just respecting them. Yes. I am recognizing them as similar to me. Yes. And even creation myths, which we have, are actually quite clear that we are cre creatures. We were created. Right. And we were created while the rest of the thing around us was created. We are part of it. Hmm. So using mythological language of the Bible, we can actually arrive at the same conclusion. The problem is that in our teenage mind, 
since enlightenment or maybe earlier right. uh, we arrived at the strange conclusion that everything around the world is happening just because of us yeah or for us and for us yeah. that's that's definitely not part of the biblical worldview uh, it there might be some aspects of it you know like salvation history and and so on where the tendency is to, to, to aim towards the human beings. But uh, because human beings are created at the end, you know, or in the other story, the, the whole world is created for human beings, so like looking for and help for human beings. But uh, both way, both stories are actually integrating us. If you, you, you can choose reading it, that we are part of that rather than that we are above it or separated even from it from from the nature all around us so that is one thing the other thing is that there are of course some aspects of it where all is circling around human beings and the nature is viewed as a danger especially in, in some uh, catastrophes and, and other situations, natural disasters, uh, it's, it's dangerous. I would say that is that early mentality where human beings were really exposed to, to brutality of nature you know, or that dimension of the nature which is rather harsh. Mm -hmm. uh, but as we matured, you know, we, we went through that phase of or everything is about us, like we said, teenage years, and we should progress towards more balanced understanding that we are part of that whole theater, all, all global understanding. And the, the sum of uh, natural knowledge of ancient people or tribal people can help us to shape it. I don't think that it is necessarily anti-faith. It's simply a different worldview. Mm. Like there was a time when the world was viewed as tripartite. You know, heaven above, earth for yeah. people in the middle, and hell or yeah. underworld beneath. That is not any longer with mm -hmm. us. Uh, we understand ourselves living on, on a planet which is circling the sun, which is circling the center of galaxy, which is part of the cluster of galaxies, and, and so on. But within the world of living creatures on the surface of this planet, we can recognize that all around us is interconnected. And start accounting for it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we are getting into a bigger and bigger trouble. In that respect, I, I think that uh, what is normally called animism, you know, recognition of subjectivity of all the creatures around us, say, and realities around us, is 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 important. You know, it's. I, I, I don't know how to express it uh, differently, but it is absolutely all right way of looking at the world. 
not in discrepancy with with faith, with Christian mm -hmm. faith or any other faith. It's just a worldview within which Christian faith can exist, like it existed in and under many other different worldviews. And that, that is somehow a challenge for all of us, yes. you know, to, to make this step from that uh, strict, mechanistic, enlightenment, anthropocentric worldview yes. into more uh, interconnected, holistic uh, uh, worldview, uh, which I hope we will discover or otherwise we will destroy ourselves and everything around us. And somehow I think that a good first step is just to go for a walk. In a park. In a park. Or in the woods. Yeah. And, and just pay attention and how much there is going on. And listen and let it talk to you. I think that that is a good first step. I think that I believe that that is where, um, if you really go and want to listen, you'll mm -hmm. you'll get you'll start to get the message. Yes, listen with your ears, listen or uh, and watch, uh, and smell. Yes, and and you know use your our hu human limited senses. Yes. And think how much more there could be of this interconnectedness and communication than we can even imagine. Thank you. Thanks. Until next time.